You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Good morning. No mountain, no valley could ever separate us from the love of Christ. We're singing Romans 8. Man, so good uh, to sing of the truth of God. If you don't know me, my, I'm Kevin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I get to, uh, on, on, on kind of usual run-of-the-mill Sundays, uh, you will uh, see me, as many of you know, leading worship uh, through singing. Um, and so today I have the joy of leading us in worship through God's Word. And so uh, that is a joy for me. So welcome. Um, and it's good to see you guys. I uh, want to say it, it, is, it is a, a Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so summer is here. That is a, a, a glad thing. Um, on Memorial Day weekend, we remember uh, the many who have given their lives for us in our country. And so, man, if you have, if you have in your family someone who has uh, given their life, some, a close friend that has given their life in service of our country, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Um, and so let's, let's, let's not... Uh, it, it, Monday will be fun um, uh, doing things because we don't have to work, a lot of us probably. Um, but let's remember that and, and uh, praise God for the sacrifice of many. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, today is also our, uh, this weekend is our family service, the last service of the month. So kids, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Those of you who are normally uh, in your elementary class, glad you are with us. Um, have you ever met a nutrition and fitness expert, the air quotes emphasized. I don't mean like somebody who, you know, went to school to study uh, nutrition science. I don't mean like a trained dietitian who went and, you know, got their degree in food science or someone who went through some sort of um, nutrition certification program or even someone who uh, maybe majored in kinesiology or biology, or even someone who's maybe a personal trainer or a fitness instructor of some sort. Um, I'm not even talking about your friend who's like the workout warrior um, who puts us all to shame. Uh, I mean, have you ever met somebody who looks a little bit like me um, sitting across the table from you at a meal uh, with their double cheeseburger and plate full of fries in front of them while you eat your salad? And the topic of fitness and nutrition comes up and they proceed with, you see, what you need to do is that person. That's the person I'm talking about who tells you, you know, all you got to do is the peanut diet for 13 days, not 14, just 13. And then you can eat whatever you want because that's apparently the tagline at the end of every new uh, whatever dietary change uh, and people who say that you can eat whatever you want on programs like that clearly don't know how much some of us want to eat. Um, but you know those sorts of experts, right? The ones who are experts, uh, but really for them it's just theory. Uh, they kind of know what the debate is about. They, they even know some of the lingo. They may even have some friends who are actual practitioners. But in reality, what they know isn't a lot. And isn't really scratching the surface of the issue. And I think as Christians, this is how sometimes we can talk about this idea of worship. We know a thing or two. 
Maybe we aren't even short on opinions. Uh, And the reality is, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've likely even witnessed uh, many of the battles fought in the local church over worship styles and preferences. Praise the Lord, we haven't had a lot of those battles to fight here as a younger church uh, who started uh, only 10 years ago. Uh, But certainly if you've been a Christian for a while, you've witnessed, maybe you've even been a part of some of these disagreements over preferences of uh, music style. Are we contemporary? Are we traditional? Are we singing hymns or modern songs? Are we, do we have a worship band or a choir or only a piano or a pipe organ? Do we have fog machines? Please just say no. Uh, and lights, although the fog machines help, look, the lights look cooler. Uh, but uh, are the lights low? Are they up? Are they down? Are they, and on and on and on. And, and while aspects of corporate worship uh, and corporate singing are important, in fact, it's just a fun study to walk through the Bible, walk through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and see all the instances where the people of God are singing. It's amazing how much singing and the people of God go hand in hand. Where there have been people of God, there have always been songs. Um, that's throughout the Bible. Uh, t- take time, walk through the scriptures and look at that. But So singing, singing in the Bible even is not to be minimized. And we, we'll talk about singing. But the real fear for me, for all of us, are the words of, of Isaiah uh, in, in the, the Lord speaking through Isaiah in, in Isaiah 29, who, who said to people, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And the words of Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus saying, I see your labor. This is in Revelation. I see your labor. I see your toiling, your efforts, but you've forgotten your first love. So when we talk about worship, we don't want to simply be people who know how to sing or who know the discussion about uh, musical styles. We want to align ourselves with what the Bible tells us about worship in the human heart. We want our very lives to echo the worship of God. And most of all, we want to be more than those who theorize about worship. We want to be actual worshipers of God. So we're looking this morning at what what is probably one of the most famous texts in the scripture amongst a few of the, when it comes to worship. And it's Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. We're also going to look at Colossians three a little bit. This is Romans 12. This happens to be one of my favorite uh, texts in, in the Bible. Um, particularly as someone who's responsible regularly for leading us in worship through singing. So as we move forward this morning, we're going to answer uh, these questions. And I always forget to do this. So, I, you know, bear with me. Uh, there we go. Turn it on. Okay, there we go. And there it is. We're going to answer this question. How will our worship please God? And we're going to look at three areas of this in our response, in our transformation, and in our gathering. And so let's read together uh, in Romans chapter 12. So stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And let's read together. Let's start actually in Romans 11. And we will read what we just sang, the words from Romans 11, this great doxology. Starting in Romans 11. It's on page 947 if you've got this black Bible. Um, Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come to you this morning and we do not desire to be those who speak of you, to be those who speak of our desire for you, who speak of our love and our worship of you. But Father, that we are not in our hearts worshiping, loving you. Would you lead us today as we look at your word, as we consider your great mercy? And would you help us to see how kind you've been to us? Would you help us to see your goodness? And would you make us worshipers of Jesus? So Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. So this is the beginning of the practical section of the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 1 through 11, Paul has laid out the gospel, um, 11 chapters worth. So I'm giving you kind of a recap. I know we finished up Hebrews, and so we're in between. I'm just jumping you right into the, uh, the meat of Romans, and so I just want to give you a picture. 11 chapters worth of the gospel, the depravity of man, our rejection of God, the great mercy that he has towards sinners. And now starting in chapter 12, Paul is going to launch into, okay, now that we're saved, how do we live? And he's going to cover everything from relationships with God to our relationship with the church, to how we relate to our enemies or to our neighbors, how we relate to the government. Uh, he's going to hit all of these areas, but he's going to kick off chapter 12 by getting in really to, to the heart, to the root of the matter. And he's going to answer this question, how will our worship please God? So first, how will our worship please God? It will be in our response. In our response, we must see God's mercy and die. Starting in verse one, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So this phrase, by the mercies of God, is actually, if we were to, if we were to have a copy of the Greek New Testament in front of us, if we opened it up, that would actually be the first part of the sentence. Uh, by the mercies of God. So this is at the beginning of the sentence. The mercies of God um, it, it, and, and this is what we've seen, right? Chapters one through 11, this is what we have been seeing. Paul's been teaching uh, that every person who's been born knows about God. Even if they, all they can see is his creation, they know there's a God. And even though we know him, even though we knew him, instead of choosing God, every single one of us has opted for created things rather than the creator. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And because of that, we are deserving of his judgment. And that's not just a few of us. That's not just some of us. That's all of us. Every single person on the planet has fallen short of the glory of God. There's, there's no one righteous, not one. And not only that, we have, we have hated God. And the punishment that we've earned from God is death. This is the lesson of the, the first 11 chapters of Romans, that we will never measure up to God's standards, that even our attempts at righteousness are garbage. And yet, there in throughout that section, there is there's there's jolt after jolt of good news. Romans six, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Romans seven, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. What we just sang, Romans, Romans 8. Therefore, what will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? We've been adopted, brought into the family of God because of Jesus. By his sovereign grace, we're now new creations, sons and daughters of God. These aren't just doctrinal truths. This is reality, that we, that we, that we stood condemned, not deserving love, kindness, grace from God, and that he'd be just not even to give us those things. And that he really is the only one who can, that we can sing of and say, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of him. That he has never stood in our debt, that, we sh- that he should repay us. That every, every molecule that has ever existed, every, everything that we've ever seen, from him, through him, and to him. Christian, that God had mercy on you. The God who made nebula galaxies that you've never even heard of, the God that you in your own heart cared nothing for. He loved you with the love of a father and made you his. So that is the backdrop. That's the mercy that Paul is speaking about here. And after all that, he comes in Romans 12 and says, I appeal to you, therefore, in view of those mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I heard when I was uh, in college, Louis Giglio preach on this idea of responding to the mercy, to the grace of God and, and have in my own, uh, in, in, in the Lord giving me the opportunity to lead us in, in worship, have never been able to shake this idea of our response to God, both in song and by our lives. And if you talked about this would be before, just this idea of responding to God's mercy, it really to me is, it, 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 that's where a lot of the conversations on worship come back. Uh, because it, it really is, if I'm worshiping with anything else in view, if, if my response in singing, if my response in living a life uh, to please God, following Jesus, has anything else other than the mercies of God in view, other than his grace and his love for me in view, then that thing that is in view will become an object of worship for me. And I will soon be more interested in that than in God. So, so for you, what other things is it that, 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 that drive your worship of God? Is it powerful worship gatherings? Um, is, it, is it moving music, maybe a certain style of music? Is it responding only to the things that God has done for you? The ways that he's come through for you? As, as one of the elders here, I, I, I want us, both in our teaching and in our singing, if we are seeking to elicit from you a response that's rooted in anything other than the gospel, we won't get a right response. We won't get, we will get Isaiah 29. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. John Calvin said it this way. There it is, maybe. No, there it is. He said, until men really apprehend how much they owe to the mercy of God, they will never with a right feeling worship him, nor be effectually stimulated to fear and obey him. We've got to see mercy. We've, the gospel must be in view for us. That's why every week when we gather, we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Every week we sing of his great grace and mercy. It's why every week we take the bread, we take the cup. 
So let's keep going. In view of God's mercies, Paul says, I, I, I appeal to you. I, I urge you. He's, he's, he's imploring us. He's, he's, he's pleading with us. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Uh, this word living sacrifice or this, this combination of words, living sacrifice, is really, I think, even maybe a little weirder than it sounds. Mainly because sacrificing something to us is like, uh, you know, I'm sacrificing. I'm not going to eat bread today. Um, that's, we're giving up bread for the day. Um, but that's not what sacrificing uh, was to them, right? To sacrifice something to Paul meant to kill it. That's what the sacrificial system was, was to kill things. Uh, and so, uh, and, and, and to give it up, to burn it up. Uh, so this is literally present your bodies as a living killing. That's what this word sacrifice means, is, is killing, dying. Tim Keller calls it our living dying, and I think it's supposed to sound strange. It's supposed to sound like a play on words. Uh, so, so what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Clearly, this, this is not like the sacrifices uh, for sin, for atonement of sin uh, in the Old Testament, slaughtering an animal as payment uh, for sin. This doesn't mean that somehow you're procuring uh, God's forgiveness. Uh, this, Paul's not saying here, I urge you, brothers, in order to get God's mercies, present your bodies as though you're in some way purchasing acceptance with God. Of course not, right? Jesus is the atoning sacrifice once for all. Rather, we only present our bodies because of the cross in view of God's mercy. So when the Bible says to present your bodies, it's saying lay down your life. Give all of you. That's what it's saying bodies. Give every bit of you. And not only that, but keep laying it down, constantly offering your life before him. And as you do, not physically, but you do die. You do die. This act of worship is a dying it's a dying to self. Uh, being a living sacrifice is, is, is putting to death the idea that somehow I still have the right to choose the way I live my life. That's not a popular idea in our country particularly, right? But that's what it is to die to self. That is what it is to be a living sacrifice. And it feels like dying to say that, that I, I'm putting to death the idea that I deserve this particular kind of life. It feels like dying to say, my life is yours. Lord, do what you will. That Jesus is better than riches, than comfort, than health. Michael Spiegel, one of my seminary professors said, it takes great faith to trust God to heal, but I believe it takes greater faith to trust God when he doesn't. It takes dying to self to say, I don't like this sickness, this disease, this persecution. But God, your word says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. And so I trust, I trust that you are at work. I submit to you. I die to what I think. And this sort of sacrifice, he says, he calls it holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, depending upon your translation. So our, in the ESV, it says that this is our spiritual worship. Um, in some of the older translations, uh, the, the King James and even the new King James, um, I remember hearing this as a kid, even uh, hearing that this uh, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That sounds a lot more like a transaction than spiritual worship. Um, but uh, the, the word worship makes sense here. This, this term is really where we get our term liturgy. Uh, it refers to the sort of service that a priest would give. Um, and just like in, in first Peter, we're called uh, as believers. Now we are royal priesthood. And so now as priests, our liturgy, our worship service before God is still to present a sacrifice. And the sacrifice now is us, 
ourselves. This is your liturgy. This is the daily worship service of a Christian. Every day, waking up saying, my life is not my own, not my will today, but yours. And not only is it your daily worship service, but he calls it your spiritual worship. And this word spiritual is, is another interesting word. And again, we get reasonable service. That's the old translation. And really, this, the word is where we get our term logic. Um, it, this is your logical worship. Basically, it means this is the only worship that makes sense for a Christian. The only logical, reasonable response of someone who has seen the mercy of God is not to give a dead animal. It's not to give grain, not to give a dead bird. The only act of worship that is reasonable for the Christian, that even makes sense, is to give his heart, is to give her life. That's what God wants from us. In Psalm 40, David says this, essentially says this very thing. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice and offering. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. David's saying, take, take my life. That's my worship. So will our worship please God? First, yes, when our response is seeing his mercy. When our response to seeing his mercy is laying our life down to die, our worship will please God. So this, should, I think, I hope should sound like perfectly uh, normal stuff. The gospel and response, hearing of God's mercy and responding. Number two, how will our worship please God? We will please him in our transformation where we are new and being renewed. Look at verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, so when we lay our lives down, when we say, my life is not my own, there's still a lot of us, this, these sinful patterns, a lot of what has shaped us in our, in our depravity that operates still according to the sinful patterns of this world. I, I, I bought my son uh, a, a new uh, Mizuno baseball glove this year and a new glove. You ever gotten a new baseball glove? Doesn't move much, right? It's molded. Uh, it comes with its form. Uh, and, and really, it's not very usable until it has had some unmolding done to it. Uh, and, and, and so what does that look like for us to be unconformed? I don't think either unconformed or deconformed is a word, but I'm going to use one of them. So we'll say, what does it look like for us to become deconformed? Uh, this, and this is, these are like present tense, like ongoing commands. Continue to not be conformed to this world. So think about the areas of your life. Sometimes I think maybe it's easier to just identify areas than it is to really even think about how we'll change them. Uh, but what areas of your life do you feel that you're still operating in sinful patterns of the world? Think about, about your life. Where have you bought into the thinking of the world? What, what in your thinking, your living, looks like the world in a way that you, by God's spirit, know that it probably shouldn't? Is it your, your view of money? Have you believed, like much of our world, that just a little bit more, just another gadget, another better job, just a little more income will bring happiness. Is it in your view of politics? Does your daily sanity hang on whether political victories are being won or lost? If so, you will go insane. Do you hope in political victories with the same gusto that your neighbor does that doesn't know Jesus? Do you get as angry or argumentative about 
political articles on social media as your non-Christian friends do? Is it technology, movies, entertainment? Does your Netflix viewing follow the exact same pattern as your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? How about your parenting, your marriage? Does the worldly game of I'll love you if you do this for me plague your marriage the same way as many of the marriages of your lost friends and neighbors? Kids, those of you who are in the room, how about you? This applies to you too. Do you honor and obey your parents about the same as your friends who have not heard of Jesus? Kids, if you love Jesus, do you serve your siblings? Do you reach out to kids at school that aren't as cool in the same way as your friends? Does your pattern of relating to people look like your friends who don't know Jesus? This idea of not being conformed to the pattern of the world has to mean that every area of our life is in view. Running, running every aspect of our life through the grid of the gospel, through the grid of being a living sacrifice, a living dying. That there's nothing out of bounds, nothing beyond examination. And, and why? Why all of this? Because of the mercies of God. Maybe you're someone who looks at yourself and just says, this is just who I am. I'm you know, too old to change. I'm too this to change. This is just how I'm going to be. If you're a Christian, don't think that way. The gospel is all about God changing us, transforming us daily, weekly, monthly, changing us. The Lord is transforming you, growing you all for his glory. And this is a process that will last, uh, maybe to, to the dismay of some of us, that will last our whole lives. We're going to need to be transformed, changed, renewed. Don't give up on that process now. One day in the new heavens and the new earth, we won't be interested in the patterns of this old world. We will only want those things that a renewed mind wants, that a transformed heart wants. But here, we wrestle with our old self. And so we ask, we pray, God, would you transform me by the renewing of my mind? And you know what's so great about the end of that verse? He says that as, as, as your mind is renewed, as you are transformed, Paul's going to say that you're going to test and discern the will of God. And that this new way of life, this will of God, you're going to see it and you're going to do it. And you're going to agree that it's good and that it's acceptable and that it's perfect. As he changes you, you're going to see that his way is better and you're not going to be disappointed. You won't be disappointed as he changes you. So how will we be transformed? How will we be changed? He says, by the renewal of our minds. So don't be conformed to the pattern of this age that's putting off, put off the wisdom of your old self, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put on the new mind, put on love. We see this sort of language throughout all the New Testament, throughout many of the letters uh, that Paul has written. We see where, where, where the Holy Spirit is telling us, see what's been done for you in Christ. You're a new creation. Now put off the old self and walk as a new creation. Put on love and walk in love. In fact, flip over to Colossians chapter three. We're gonna spend some time there. Paul is saying basically this exact thing in Colossians 3. 
Starting in chapter three, verse nine in Colossians, he says, he says, do not lie to one another. I think I even have this up on the screen. Here we go. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He's saying, he's saying you are a new creation and you're being renewed. I think that's a fascinating truth that you both are new and are being renewed. It's, it's the already not yet. Jesus has made you new and now he is making you more into the image of Christ. Skip down to verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And, and so isn't this sort of the refrain of the New Testament? Constantly, right? Uh, our, our new behavior flowing out of our new life, our new identity in Jesus over and over again. Put off the old self, put on the new self, the renewed mind. Why? Because you're new, because Christ has made you new. Christian sanctification that happens by any other means any other motivation is not of God at all. It's man-centered. It's legal, legalism. The New Testament says, look at what God has done. Believe what he has done for you. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed and adopted by God. The old you is dead. You are a new creature in Christ. So in light of what God has done for you, in light of the new creation you are, walk in love. Be renewed in your mind. So no matter who Paul is writing to, whether it's here in Colossians, whether it's in Romans, he can hardly talk about our, how our behavior should change, how our thinking should change without talking about how we have been changed, how our identity is new. Isn't, isn't this kind of convicting in the way that we speak to each other? I think particularly as a parent, I think about this. Um, it's easy for me to go to my kids and say, kids, here's what you need to do. You need to change this. You got to do this differently. Here's how you need to act. In fact, I, I was, we were having this sort of conversation the other night. Um, we were talking about a particular issue. It was, it was a good conversation. I was telling my children something. This is what you need to do. This is what you've got to stop doing. Um, and my wife, uh, by God's grace, she just goes, do you remember who you are in Jesus? Do you remember what he's done for you? As he looks to them, my children who, who, who have professed faith and say they love the Lord. And that's so much better, Right? But sometimes it's easier. We, we just want people to just tell me what to do. But that's not how Christ operates with us. He knows that we'll never become more like Christ without the power of Christ and the new identity that he's given us. So this renewing of our minds that we see here in Romans and in Colossians, it can't just be making a list, seeing how we look like the world, and then you know, doing the checklist thing. Just up, oh, change that, change that, done, knocked it out. It doesn't work. The renewing of our mind means we're being taught and reminded of our identity in Christ, seeing again the mercies of God, remembering that he is changing us, that Christ's perfect life was accounted to us, that his death was for us, and that even now our, our hope for, for walking in victory in these areas is that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that's our hope for change, our hope for the renewed mind, our hope for pleasing him. And then in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell 
in you richly. How, how will we remember who we are apart from his word? How will our minds be renewed apart from pursuing him there? I don't think this is about a verse a day, keeps the devil away, sort of Christianity. Um, you know, checking off reading plans until Jesus comes back. Um, but do Christ's words speak into every corner of your life? Are there particular patterns of sin, maybe cycles of sin that, that just plague your life? Could it be that the first swing of the wrecking ball of God's grace toward sin, that sin in your life might be that you might begin letting the word of Christ dwell richly in your life, reminding you who you are, reminding you who he is. So are you neglecting the word of God? And so this is an important issue for us personally, but notice we need to dwell, we need his word to dwell richly, not among you singularly, but among y'all, plural. This is a Texas verse. Uh, we want his word to dwell richly among us all. So here we go. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So lastly, how will our worship please God? In our gatherings, we will please God as we sing from our hearts to God. This is amazing that one of the chief ways that the word of Christ would dwell richly among us, that our minds would be renewed by God's word, is how? As, as we teach one another and correct one another, encourage one another through singing. Through singing. You're like, is that really what he's saying? Yeah, that's what he's saying. Let me show you. I, I, I see three ways that this plays out for us. There's the verse. As we sing, as we sing our teaching, I mean, I'm sorry, our singing teaches us about God. I haven't taken a math class in like over 20 years, um, but I can still sing the quadratic equation formula song. Anybody still, can anybody sing that? I'm the only one, people in the first service. There we go, I saw hands. I, I, st I can still sing, yeah, some of the people who are like, I'm a student now and I know that one. Um, I learned that in like eighth grade and I can still sing that song and it's, I don't use it ever. Um, but God made us to learn this way. That's why we do catechisms. That's why we use scripture songs to help our kids memorize God's word. This is why we learn songs full of rich theology, saying right things about who God is and about what he's done. But it isn't just rote memory of these things. As we sing, we are teaching each other and believing the content of the Christian faith. We are learning both the facts and the feelings of Christianity. So our singing teaches us about God, but it's more than just that. Uh, look at verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So he's saying, Paul's saying, we're not just learning theology and reciting the content of our faith. We're singing for one another. We're singing for one another. Do you ever just look around at the room on on Sundays when we gather and think, man, what a bunch of ragamuffins. What a, do you ever just look at the faces of the people around you and, and go, he redeemed them too. And them. My friend, uh, Paul Helbig, who was around when we started the church and helped us, um, he used to refer to Redeemer as the island of misfit toys. 
And, uh, and he meant that as a compliment. Um, there's nothing special in us that drew the Lord to us. You got here the same way I did. He purchased you with his blood, just like he did me. God, God made this people. And we are called into one body and we all got here by the same savior. And he gave us this fellowship together. This is his family. And so he tells us to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're singing for one another. I, I, don't, I don't think we should get caught up too much in these categories that Paul's giving, just quickly. I, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I don't think he's trying to like give a song category lesson um, in the middle of this. Uh, but in general, I think the psalms are the singing of God's word. He has a book of psalms that we're singing of the stories of what God has done and how he's delivered his people. So we're singing the Psalms, we're singing God's word. Um, and hymns, uh, hymns are just songs of praise. Songs of praise, speaking of the truth of who God is and all that he's done, praising him. These are not the songs that we call hymns now. Those, believe it or not, have not been around that long. Uh, these are just, he, Paul's just saying, these are songs about who God is. And spiritual songs. I, I think, that, let's not, I don't want to overcomplicate this. I don't know that spiritual songs is anything more than just songs that people would sing who are Christians. Christians singing songs about what God has done for them. It's people who have the spirit singing spiritual songs. So this is the, this, these, these categories, not so much, but this singing, this is the liturgy of dead people who've been made alive. So as we're standing near one another in corporate singing, sitting next to each other this morning, sitting maybe in, this, in, in, in a circle of folks tonight or, or Tuesday night or Wednesday night in your missional community. And we are living, singing sacrifices, full of gratitude in our heart for the mercy of God. And our songs are on display for each other to see. This is the song of a living sacrifice. The singing of a dead person is glorious. To see a brother or sister who is moved by the mercy of God, who's laying their life before God, submitting themselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice saying, life may be difficult for me right now. I may not like the path that you are taking me down, Lord, but I will sing, you are God and you are good. Singing to God, even through tears, with gratitude in their hearts, thank you for your goodness, God, even Though I am suffering, you are good. That singing teaches. That teaches me. That encourages and admonishes me. That's renewing my mind. And I have this unique vantage point on Sundays and that I get to see a lot of you when you sing. You look great, by the way. Um, I, I get to see your faces. And if you sit close enough, I even get to hear your voice. Um, sometimes my eyes are closed as I'm joining you in worship of God. and Sometimes they're open as I'm looking at your face and you're looking at mine and we're looking at one another. In fact, one of the things I'm hopeful in our new building is that we can spread just a little wider so that our chairs can look a little more toward one another, that we're seeing each other. Not that we're, that would be weird if we faced each other, but, but that we have more of a fan that we can see one another as we sing. Why? Because your singing, it teaches me, it teaches your brother and your sister. As the word of Christ dwells richly among us, as our lives are moved by God's mercy, I look out and I see fellow trophies of God's grace singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude. What a joy. 
I'll never forget looking out and seeing Denise Boriak with her hands in the air, praising the one who is in charge of her body down to a cellular level, saying, I've seen your mercy. You've made me new. And my life before you is a living sacrifice. Every breath I have is your grace. My life is not my own. My body is not my own. My family is not my own. That sort of singing teaches, admonishes us all. And then just a few weeks ago to see her children and her husband with hands raised at her funeral singing, Oh, death, where is your sting? I find my hope. I find my peace in Christ alone. That teaches, that admonishes, that renews. When I see Michelle Wistrand or Debbie and John Perkle, Tammy J, praising God through cancer, that's, this is showing me God and it's showing you too. When I see people in, in difficult marriages resting in Christ, yet praising him for his goodness, that teaches. When I see families with seemingly few problems saying that Christ is better than even the sweetest frame. That will teach, that will encourage, that will renew. When I see older saints among us saying, I have nothing to fear in death because of Christ, with almost a joy on their face that is like a secret that, that the rest of us don't even know yet. That teaches Be encouraged when you see this church. Be instructed. Be renewed. I know that I am encouraged and being instructed by you. Lastly, singing isn't just for learning the content of our faith. It isn't only for encouraging one another. Our singing stirs our hearts toward thankful submission to and love of God. So this point may be last, but it really is first that our singing first is for God. He is the recipient. And as the word of Christ dwells richly in us, and as we become more aware of the holiness of God and of our own sinfulness and the great mercy he's shown us in Christ, we will respond with lives laid down and we will sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. I remember about three years ago, I was having some health issues and some undiagnosed issues of pain uh, in my abdomen. And rather than trusting the Lord, I was, I was really feeling sorry for myself. Uh, and I wasn't leading worship that Sunday. Yeah, I wasn't leading us in singing. And I, I remember walking in and my friend, Lucas Hattenberger, uh, was leading us in worship. And in that service, at, at a time that even my singing was pretty heartless, we sang together the words, this is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not resolution of circumstance, not removal of suffering or pain, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in that moment, I was admonished. I was corrected. I was encouraged all at once by those singing around me and by the Lord as I sang to him. And I remember crying and I I remember confessing my unbelief. And I was reminded again, this isn't just for me. It is all our hope and peace, nothing but Jesus. And though I was weak in heart, I was strengthened again to sing of his faithfulness and able to sing even through difficulty with thankfulness to God. 
We need to sing to God with his people. Our singing alone is not our worship, but our lives are lives that lead us to sing. Our lives of worship are singing lives. And so as we wrap up today, before we join together, I'm taking the Lord's Supper. Before we sing again, um, I want to encourage us, let's come to the Lord. Christian worship is an, is, can be a passionate thing because of mercy, because of the astounding things that have been done for us. Have you lost sight of that? Have you lost sight of the mercy of God? Has your grip on your life become one that's very difficult to release, to daily say, this is yours? Are there other things that have taken the seat of worship in your life? Maybe things that other things you're laying your life down for, little g gods that you're pursuing. Confess those to the Lord. Maybe before this morning, before running out and trying to change or running out and accomplishing something for the Lord, let's just come to God. Let's come to the altar of God where we are the sacrifice and say, Lord, you've served me in the gospel. So here I am. Here's my life. I come not to serve you as though you needed anything, but I come because you have been so gracious to me, so merciful to me, so receive my sacrifice, my life. And we can talk about making disciples and making much of Jesus, but all that is preceded by something that happens in our heart. So this morning, let's respond to the mercy of God. And as we sing, as we go to the table together, let's confess our sins. Let's ask that his grace would shatter our, our, our pride and our sin. And let's remember his mercy. Pray with me. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.